Well, good morning. Um, hopefully most of you know, but if you don't, my name is William. I'm one of the elders at the Mountain Church, and I have the privilege of uh, bringing God's Word to you guys this morning. Um, before we get started, one thing I want to say, because some of you guys may have saw last week, Nathan was so angry with the sermon that he got up and walked out halfway through. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it was uh, what's happening is we are uh, providing some, I guess what you'd call pulpit relief for a church in Federal Way, so First Baptist Federal Way. And since um, we are so blessed to have two gifted preachers and myself, um, we're gonna we're gonna use some of our talent to send down there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're just we're trying to help out. Uh, many of you guys have met Tim Howe, who is one of the guys that helps out. Uh, is kind of like Daniel's coach and overseer with the North American Mission Board. And so he had been preaching there, but um, that's not his full time job. He has a full time job helping and overseeing other pastors in the area. And so he really needed some help and needed a break uh, from preaching over there. So uh, us and Soundside? Soundside. Soundside are providing some uh, pulpit relief. So last week, Nathan went down there. This week, Daniel's going down there. And then next week, I will be going down there. So I'll only see you guys for a little bit of the time at the serve. Um, But it's just an uh, awesome opportunity for us to use the giftings that we have um, in this church body to uh, bless another church. Because as many of you guys know, we really want to focus on the church universal, not just building the name of the Mountain Church and keeping everything here to ourselves. So today, when you see Daniel stand up and walk out halfway through, just know that that's where he's going. He's going to take off. He's got to be out there about 1030, right? Yeah. So, all right. Does that sound good to everybody? Everybody have a clear understanding of that? All right. If Daniel didn't like the sermon, he would let me know. He'd probably stand up and cut my mic off. So I think you guys are okay there. All right. So Galatians, we've been going through the book of Galatians. We are in chapter four now. And all the way up until this point, what we've seen in the book of Galatians is Paul has had kind of a severity with the Galatians. He's been pretty, I guess what you would call harsh with them. He's had some stern words for them, um, the way that they are living out of step with the gospel and the way that they are um, changing and distorting the gospel into something that is what we talked about before, the gospel plus, adding something to it, whether it be good works or observing things. And so last week when Daniel preached, he talked about becoming uh, heirs. We are heirs in Christ, right? Which meant that we already had the inheritance. There was nothing more that we could do to add on to that. And so when we get into this piece of uh, chapter four, we kind of see a switch in tone. Okay, and it's, and it's for a very uh, distinct purpose, and we're going to talk about that, but we start to see a shift in tone. Now, if you're like me, you feel that verses 8 and 9 should be under the heading of sons and heirs, but that's okay. We're going to cover them today anyway. So let's take a look here. So 8 says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. So what is he saying here? He's saying essentially what you guys were enslaving yourself to, what you guys were wrapping yourselves up in, what you guys were becoming or uh, choosing to follow, whether it was circumcision or the things of the pagan nature that you guys were going after before, just so you know, you were calling them gods, but they could not actually be gods. That's what he was getting at here. They're, they're not actually gods. And, and a lot of people uh, will tell you, like Daniel said last uh, week, that some people could say that this means that they were like demons that people were worshiping, that they would have been uh, just fake things 
whether it was just like a wooden statue, but there might have been something behind that, which would have been um, the principalities of that area in the, in the sense of demons and, and uh, Satan and those uh, things. So he says, but they are not by nature gods, but ha- now you have come back to know God or rather to be known by God. So I think it's important to point out here, this is one of Paul's first writings. And when we find out later when Paul writes, like one of his big things is that you are an elect member of the body of Christ, that you are called to Christ. And this is one of the first instances where he writes it down. And most commentators believe in this moment that he was like verbally processing, even though it's on the page. So the first thing he says to them is that you have come to know God But then he almost like self-corrects himself. And what does he say? He actually says, or rather, to be known by God. So what is he telling them? He was saying, the reality of the situation is, you didn't do anything. You didn't find God. God called you. He pulled you out of your sin and out of your despair. And this is how you know God. There was no intellectual thing because if there was some intellectual thing, that kind of means that that's why they were trying to add back on to what they knew. They found like, they, okay, we found God. And therefore now that like some other people are saying some things that kind of make sense, we can continue to add stuff onto it. And that what Paul, what Paul is getting at here is actually the opposite of that. He's saying, no, actually, wait, you didn't actually find God. God called you to the gospel that you heard. It was revealed to you through the words that I preached. And so then he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world who enslave you once more? So again, we kind of have this harshness from Paul. You're idiots. What are you doing? How come you keep turning back to the things that don't mean anything? It's worthless. Rubbish. So he's trying to point out again, there's that severity. This is not okay. What are you guys going back to? That doesn't make any sense. God called you to something higher and now you're trying to add back on your filth. And then what he says in in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. So what does that tell us? Don't observe birthdays. Father's Day, Mother's Day, those are all terrible things. Is that what you guys think? Have you guys ever heard that before? Yeah, this passage has been used for that. That's not what he's saying here. Okay, so I'm going to clarify. He's not telling you that if you celebrate your birthday, you're going against God's, God's uh, will. Okay? What he is saying here, though, is he's letting us in on what they were probably doing at the time. So the first thing that we learn is that they were trying to push circumcision on the Gentiles there, Right? that they were going through that, and then he's like telling them, resist that. That's not what you need to become a member of the body. But what is Paul saying here? He's giving us a little light into how far the, the, uh, the uh, Galatians have actually gone. What he's saying is that they've already started observing the Jewish holidays, because these things line up with the Jewish holidays. When we talk about uh, days and months they would have certain festivals that fell for each month, right? The, in the Jewish culture and uh, the things that were set up for them, they were all had these festivals that just continually happened to hopefully remind them of God's calling of them. That was the whole reason of these festivals. God's calling you guys 
and has chosen you, have a festival to continually remind yourself. But in the reality, what happened there, they became kind of the ritualistic piece and the this is what saves you piece. And so that is where he's like trying to tell them and point them, you guys have already started walking down this path of uh, righteousness through works. And he's getting at that this is not a good thing. You guys have already started that. And so since you've already started that, that makes verse 11 make a lot more sense. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul still has that harshness of tone. Man, you guys know the true gospel. It's been preached to you. You received it because God revealed himself to you. But now you're starting to add stuff onto it. And when you add stuff onto it, it's not good. And it's good to the point where I can say the work that I did with you guys is meaningless. It was pointless. And I'm worried about that because I don't want it to be. Because remember, he just says, I may have labored over you in vain. He's really trying to call them back to what he saw. He's not saying you guys are a lost cause. He's saying, remember what I told you. Because you guys are drifting away, and if you guys continue down this path, then everything I've done, everything I've said, the words that I preach to you mean nothing. And when that means nothing, what's really happening is that means the saving grace of God means nothing. So we still have this harshness. And then all of a sudden, we kind of see this like, switch, kind of flipping Paul in the way he writes here. We see that Paul for um, four and a half or uh, three and a half chapters has really just laid the hammer on him. Paul's not there. Let's remember that. Paul's not there. He's hearing all the things that are happening. He's hearing kind of all this stuff that's going on. And so Paul is like really trying to combat that. I got to hit this hard because they're being hit hard. I got to get the truth back to them. So he's going to hit them hard. But then we see this kind of like flip. And this is such a great piece because now we get to see what I think is most important here. We see Paul's heart in this whole thing. And that's where we kind of come back. This is what makes the severity of what he says, like, like come together with this understanding that the Galatians would have felt what he was feeling for them. So he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. What is he saying here? I'm going to uh, go to my uh, second favorite translation of the Bible. Uh, many of you guys uh, remember I referenced this the other day. Um, we're going to go in the uh, Amplified Bible. So if you have one on your phone, you can look at that. I think it's great. So in verse 12, um, what it says here is it says, Believers... I beg of you, become as I am, free from the bondage of Jewish ritualism and ordinances, for I have become as you are, a Gentile. So what is Paul saying there? He's essentially calling them to live back like him because he's actually living like they were before. There was no bondage of the, the, the Jewish law. There was no shackles there. There was no, in the sense of, uh, all the ordinances and everything that were followed along with it, Paul's like, hey, I became like you guys. I'm living in the freedom that you guys have in that. There's no days and months and years. There's no circumcision that I have to follow. 
And I became like you guys and I showed you that. Now, like, come back to being like that because you guys are actually trying to go back to the way that I was before. Somebody who followed the law tried to find righteousness in the law. And he's saying, that's not okay. And then what's interesting here is he says, because you guys did me no wrong. Now, a lot of us are looking at this book going like, well, wait a second. He's just got done berating them for three and a half chapters. Didn't he do them wrong? They're not listening to him anymore. Isn't that what's going on? Well, this is the past tense. Paul is talking about and moving towards when he was there before. So now he's saying, when I first came to you guys, you guys did me no wrong. And then he goes in and starts talking about this story almost to try and remind them, right? It's a way that Paul is kind of like, like tugging at their heartstrings now, right? He's kind of like going, hey, don't you guys remember when I first showed up? This is what happened. And so what does he say? He says that, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So many people say that he stopped there because he wasn't feeling well, he was sick, I'm not even going to speculate. There's like four or five different theories out there about what he had wrong with him. But the thing is, is the reason I don't think it tells us is because that doesn't matter. That's not the issue. So many people try to like dive in. Well, he might've had this, or he might've had this and let's read further on and see. But I think the reason Paul leaves things so vague, and we've talked about this before, we leave things vague when it's not important. It doesn't matter to the story. So what he says here is it was a bodily ailment that I preached to you at first. So Paul comes into this town or into this region and he's sick. That's the one thing we do know. He was sick. And he says, although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling them like, hey, when I first came in, y'all got it. You understood I was sick, I was hurting, and you took care of me. Like, there's a great understanding of the gospel right there. You guys were already living it. Like, you guys were doing it. Like, this is awesome. You took care of me. I was sick. I would have been a burden. You guys would have had to, like, meet my needs, and you guys did it. And he says that you receive me as an angel of God or as Christ Jesus. Now we know other passages in scripture tell us that if we uh, receive those who teach the word, it's like receiving Christ himself, right? That he's not calling himself Jesus. I, don't, I wanna make sure we understand that. Paul is not equating himself with Jesus. But what he is saying is that I brought the word of Christ and I was a representative of Christ and you guys accepted me. And so when you accept me, you are accepting Christ through his teachings, through his word, through the understanding of who he was and what he did. So what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So what is he saying here? He's saying, what happened? You guys loved me. You loved what I brought. You guys like embraced me. Not in this vain way that Paul's like, look at me, look at me. But in the sentence before, he had said that he was a representative of Christ. This is how you uh, received me to the point that you loved me so much, you would have given me your eyes if I needed them. Now, a lot of people read into this again as to like, well, maybe he had something wrong with his eyes. This was the ailment that brought him there. You know what? Very well could have been. Maybe that's why he's referencing it. Again, doesn't matter. 
They would have given him something that's so vital to them that if they could have, they would have made themselves blind so that they could have seen, so that Paul could have seen. I think that's huge. We see them living out the gospel and we see the passion that they had for Paul and his message. They loved his message and what he brought. We know that Paul was probably not the most like charismatic, lovable guy. But the one thing he did have was the spirit and he was allowing the spirit to work in him, which made people want to follow what he was teaching. And that's what we see here. You guys, you remember what we were going through, what we had. It was good. Have I then become an enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What is Paul saying here? Well, we got to put this into context. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the the Judaizers that were coming in and preaching. They said they were from James and they were preaching this message of the gospel plus. You got to embrace circumcision. You got to observe our holidays. You got to observe all these things, right? So then when he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? What Paul is saying is that everything I preach to you is becoming contrary to what you are learning. And if you are doing something that is contrary to what I taught you, I told you that you're going to stand condemned, which makes me an enemy to you. And he's going back to like what he talked about before, right? You guys would have given your eyes for me if I needed them. And now all of a sudden, I'm your enemy because I taught you the truth? How? How did this happen? And then he goes to that piece where he says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What he's talking about is he's talking about the religious rulers or these people that came in at the time were coming in and just buttering these people up. Oh, yeah. You got it. You're good. I like you. Have them over for dinner. You guys know these kind of people. They'll schmooze you, right? If you've been in the business world, you understand this. They treat you nice. They'll sell you. Man, you're like, they'll just say all the right things to you, make you feel good about yourself. And then the whole purpose that he says they're doing that for is to separate you from the body, to separate you from the gospel that I brought you. That is what he's talking about when he says they want to shut you out. They want to remove you from the kingdom. What I presented to you, the message of Jesus. And then the idea here is too that he says, he even goes a step further. He says, and they want you to actually make much of them. They're not even focused on Christ. They're focused on making their name great, their name big, and they want you to follow them because... They want to be known. And Paul throws this little great line in here, and I think it's, I love verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Right? So it's all right. We can build somebody up, but build them up for the right reasons. This is a good thing. And then what Paul kind of gets at here is he gets at the idea. He's like, I, I like it when you guys say, man, I, we love Paul because Paul brought us the gospel message and he loves Jesus. And Paul's like, yeah, amen, I love that. Continue to do that when I'm gone. 
Because that's what he's getting at here. He says, right at the end of verse 18, not only when I am present with you. Paul's saying, you guys are kind of a little like wishy-washy here. When I was there, you loved me. You would have given me your eyes. You treated my physical ailment. I leave, and then you just want somebody else to come in and build you up. That's not okay. Even when I'm not with you, you guys should still be talking about the gospel message that I proclaim to you guys and still hold on to that. That's what Paul's getting at here. Paul's not getting at, you know, like, well, I want you guys to continue to, like, follow me. My name is good. And we know that from later letters that Paul wrote. I don't care if it's me, Cephas, Apollos. I don't really care. It's all about the message of Christ crucified for your sins. That's all that matters. And that's what Paul's getting at here when he starts talking about this. And we always remember context. This is Paul's first letter. It's a little rough, and that's okay. We like it that way. It's real. So he says, my little children, this is the first time Paul kind of uses this like endearing term, but it's not just meant to be endearing. It's also meant to kind of like let them know where they're at, right? He doesn't call them brothers and sisters here like he, had been, like he may have used in other letters and like he used in different uh, occasions in this book. He lets them know, my little children, that's where you guys are. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What is Paul saying here? It is painful to hear what you guys are going through. Paul did not use these words lightly. It was not some sort of like offhanded comment like we say, oh, that's the worst, right? Or something like that. That makes it just seem like something terrible, but it's really something small. Paul chose his words very clearly here. He says, I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Now this last little piece, I just wanna throw uh, a couple things out to you guys with talking about what does this mean? I wish I could change my tone. I'm gonna be honest with you, there's not a lot out there. I struggled with this last verse because I wanted to know what does it really mean to change my tone? Like if Paul was there face to face with them, would he be like, like, would he be a different person? Would he be a little softer with them? Was he wanting to be a little uh, um, more gentle? Like how would this go? And I think that that's, uh, from what I studied, from what I saw, the most that anybody really said about this piece is it was kind of just like how a mother would react, right? If a mother wasn't there in a situation and her kids were doing something wrong and she had to send a message to somebody real quick, she'd just be like, hey, tell them to stop doing that because I need them to be taken care of. And it would just be that quick. But if a mother was there in the situation and saw her kids like acting up and doing something, the loving thing to do would be to go over, pull them aside, talk to them, let them know that there was things that they were doing that were wrong, but then how was Christ going to be magnified through those things? This is the stuff that as parents we should be doing. And that's kind of the idea here of what Paul is really saying. Like, hey, listen, if I was there with you guys, we could talk this whole thing out. And I could give you the case for Christ and I could show you again how good it is. And you would be able to hear the tone of my voice. You would be able to hear the sincerity I have for you guys. But since I'm not, I gotta be harsh with you guys. You guys need to hear the truth. And so that's how it's gonna come out. And so I think it's important for us to understand that. 
as we kind of move into the next couple pieces of what we are going to talk about. So we just went through the first question, which is what does the text say, right? We've been kind of doing five questions every week as we've gone through Galatians. So the next piece is what does this text mean? Well, I'm going to tell you guys right now, the next few sections, I really struggled and fought with this passage because so far in Galatians, there's been so many great things that we've been able to point back to Jesus and find how the Christ crucified has been at the center of this whole passage. Now, this one is going to be, I think where this one steers is a little uncomfortable for me to preach just because of what I think the text is really saying. And it's going to, I don't want it to come off as vain or I don't want it to come off as hey, you guys need to treat leaders in a certain way, but I believe that is where this passage is going. So I'm gonna go ahead and talk about that, and I hope you guys can hear that with complete humbleness and complete uh, looking towards Christ that I want to dive into what this passage, I think, is really teaching us about leaders in the church, okay? And that even goes as to men leading their households, parents leading their children. I think it covers the whole gambit of what we see here, okay? Does that sound good? All right. Is that all right, Carrie? Yeah, good? Okay. As long as you get the thumbs up from Carrie, we're good. All right. So going back into this passage, what is this passage actually saying to us? I think that this passage actually tells us what leadership should look like. This whole thing talks about uh, all the way up until this point. I don't want to just take this one passage for what it is. I want to take the scripture as a whole. So when we look at Galatians all the way up until this point, this whole thing was about discipline. It's about discipline. Understanding who Christ is and living out of accordance to the gospel message. Nothing more, nothing less. That it's important for us to understand who Christ was and what he did for us and that there is nothing we can do to add on to that. And then what we see is Paul continuing with there is a second half to leadership, and that second half to leadership is the actual caring for people. What drives this? It's compassion. It is love. It is a feeling of family that we see through here. When we talk about the things that we see Paul talking about, you guys took care of me when I was sick. You would have given me things if you could have. That's family. That's not just like an offhanded, like, you know, no big deal. Oh, somebody needs something. Okay, I'll just throw a little cash at him. No big deal. Paul was going deeper than that. He's like, man, you guys heard the gospel message. You embraced it and you were family. And I loved you like family. I treated you like family. I gave you the truth because I loved you. And we see that as Paul talks. Man, was this in vain? Because if he didn't care about them, he wouldn't care. Oh, they didn't accept me? Whatever, I don't really care. I'll move on to the next person, right? If that's all he cared about was numbers and moving on, he just would have kept going. Not a big deal. But Paul backtracks to the people in Galatians, writes a letter to them, and reminds them of the passion that he had for Christ and the compassion that he had for them, for them to hear the message. I think that's what this text is, or this text means. Our love for one another has to be the balance for the way we want to discipline. 
And I think what's hard here is like it's always this, this conversation. I'm kind of going uh, off script here, not that I have one. But this idea that we talk about, you know, this idea people always talk about, uh, uh, grace and truth. Are you a grace giver or are you a truth teller? Well, if you're one or the other, you're understanding it completely wrong. Because truth and grace are like the same thing. When you call somebody to truth, you are showing them what grace is. There is a level of love. When you discipline your children, you do it because you love them. Not because you're angry at them or you're mad or you just like, man, I can't wait till they screw up so I can show them, right? Hopefully that's not why we're doing it. But we understand that this is what Paul is really showing us. And I think, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and this is, what's gonna, this is where I think this might make some people uncomfortable. This is why this book was written in the sense of up to this point, Paul is showing us that even the balance that we have, and I think we see this in America, that the balance is off. Our balance is backwards. We tend to err way too much on this loving, building people up, making them feel good about themselves, where they're at, and it's okay, and it'll be fine, but which is good stuff to say to people, but the problem is, is we miss the counterbalance, which is making sure people understand that God calls us to something bigger and something greater and actually gave us things that were called commandments, right? He commanded things. Now, I don't know about you guys, but like when I command my children to do something, yeah, right? I expect that they do it, right? And so when we hear commandments of Jesus, people, well, you know, God loves me. He said, yeah, he does. That's why he gave you commandments. He wanted you to see life to the fullest through him, and he knows best, so he gave you those commandments to follow so that you would go out and do them and see life to the fullest. And Paul's getting that out here. I love you guys, but hopefully you guys see that I love you in the compassion and the, the, the love that I have for you because of the truth that I give you. Not because, and like that's where he gets back to that piece, I'm, I'm not your enemy here. Because I'm telling you things you don't want to hear maybe in the moment, that doesn't make me your enemy. The people who build you up to make much of you, to separate you from, the, from Christ and the gospel message, those are your enemies. They're the people who actually don't love you. That's just flattery. So I think that that's where we get into question three. How do we naturally resist what this text says? So some things I want to say. I think that this text, how we naturally resist this is how we look at our leaders. Okay, so this is where I get at. Like I said, please know that I'm just preaching this as um, um, layperson William who volunteers and does this and gets the, gets the honor to preach in front of you guys and serve you guys. It's the way we look at our leaders. And I think what we get at here, how we naturally resist this, is we don't know what it looks like to have Jesus as the head. I think that's exactly how we naturally resist what Paul is getting at here. I walked away. And you guys went to something else. You guys needed somebody. I left, and I left Jesus as the head of your church, and y'all didn't like it. 
And what I think that that ties so greatly into what we see in the church in America today. We don't know what it looks like to have Jesus as the head of the church. We got to have a face. We got to have a face. We think about it in our American terms. It's a corporation. Somebody's got to be at the top. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Some people like struggle with that here at the Mountain Church. But your webpage doesn't say senior pastor. Who is it? Jesus. He's at the top. He's at the top. We want to say the same things that y'all heard in scriptures. It doesn't matter if it's Daniel, Will, Nathan. It doesn't matter. We all want to preach the same message to you. Honor Christ. That's what it's about. That's how we naturally resist it. We don't like it. We can't, like, we just, there's not, a, there's not a guy at the top. Like, how do we? And, we, and I just go out there. I'm not going to name names, but that's why we see, like, churches that, like, have people who are, like, the main winners of, you know, these pastors that, like, people know the pastors. They love the pastor. But I'm going to tell you right now, if that pastor ever left, that church is going down. That's not good. That's not healthy. Because the thing is, is we have a pastor who survives all of time, was there before, was there now, and is there afterwards. And when we put him at the head of the church, the church will survive. I think the other way that we naturally resist this is we want to see, um, I'm going to figure out how best to say this. We want to see our leaders have like a certain personality. We want what the Galatians were kind of feeling. We want somebody to come in and make us feel good about what we're doing. Right? Man, I really love the pastors that like, just give me that nice soft message. Just keep trucking, doing what you're doing. You're doing fine. It's a struggle. I get it. It's all right. Just keep going to work. Keep plucking away. That makes me feel good. Oh, everybody else is struggling. Great. All right. So I can just keep living the way I'm living. That's what we want. We want pastors to do that. We want a pastor to come up and give us a big hug and just tell us, I love you, and then send you out the door. And you can come back next Sunday and know, oh, that guy loves me. I feel good. And I think that's how we naturally resist what we see in this passage. Not very many of people that I talk to in the Church of America have to leave a church body, you know, like because they move or something like that. And the first thing you hear them say is, man, I really miss that church because that pastor used to call me out all the time. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, he used to tell me what Jesus said and it called me to something greater, to see Jesus as true, to see Jesus as uh, holy, to see Jesus as the only way, the only source of joy. And when I was out of step of that, he'd let me know it was awesome. We don't really hear that very often, do we? Man, I miss that church because I miss the way the preacher used to preach. He was so funny, right? That's what we hear. Oh, man, he could really engage me. Well, I'm here to tell you is Paul didn't care about engaging. He cared about sharing the message, the gospel, the truths. So how do we naturally resist? We need somebody at the top, but when we need somebody at the top, we need them to look like what we want. Paul came to them sick 
battered, broken, hurting, and they took care of him. They loved him and he loved them. He spoke the truth to them. He called them to righteousness in Christ and they loved it. They heard the message and it was good. It was sweet. First Peter talks about that, right? We've tasted and we've seen. It's a marvelous light that can't be like shaken, that can't be um, undone from our memory, our memory, right? We, we, we see that and we know that it's good. I think when you uh, look at this, I think that this is what Paul is talking about when he writes a letter to Timothy. If you guys want to go there, 2 Timothy 4. I think Paul prescribes this and says exactly the natural reaction we have against what we just saw here. So 2 Timothy 4, 2, appropriately titled, Preach the Word, right? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, or who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure, endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wandering off into myths. So what does Paul tell us? This is going to happen. This is what people are naturally going to look for. Now, I don't think this is a, some whole sort of spiel on people that like to read into the end times or stuff like that, like, oh, man, we're in the age of this. Guess what? This happens in the age of a church. The church in Rome reaches a pinnacle and comes back down. The church in America is going to do the same thing. The church that's growing in China right now, that's exploding because of persecution, we continue to pray for persecution because for the minute that they get comfortable, the church is going to start to look like what we have. We're just going to look for what suits us best. So then the question becomes, how did Jesus fulfill or how does he fulfill what we naturally resist? Well, I'm going to tell you guys right now, you need to read the Gospels. If you have not read Matthew, Luke, Mark, or John recently, I suggest you read all four. Because what we see there is Jesus is just as harsh, if not even more harsh, than Paul is in some of the things that he says. And when I say harsh, I mean just truthful. Things that irritate our human nature. The things that rub us the wrong way because we don't like them. When Jesus spoke, one thing that we tend to forget is that crowds would disappear. Right? They would all come gather because he did something great. And then when he'd start to speak, he would call them to something higher. And what would they do? Go back home. Oh, really? That's... Never mind, I don't want that. And we have to see that we look to Jesus as the leader of our church. What are the things that Jesus said? What are the commands he gave? What are the ways that he showed us how to live our lives? That is how Jesus 
fulfills what we naturally resist. We need to continue to look and dive into the Gospels to see Jesus' teachings, what he calls us to, to continue to see that our lives need to be ever transformed by the Gospel. That we should never fall into the idea of wanting to entertain our own ears, as we see in Second Timothy, right? Jesus shows us what it should look like. It's that simple. There's no deeper point there because that's as deep as it gets. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus leads. That's how he fulfilled what's happening in this passage. Paul's trying to to share with them, I'm trying to show you how Jesus lived. I'm trying to call you back to righteousness, call you to what you saw, how freeing the, uh, the salvation and the work of Christ is to your lives. I'm calling you back to that. That's what, God, that's what Jesus' whole ministry was based upon. Believe in me, and there is freedom in that. It's the whole letter of Galatians. That's what it's about. And Paul is showing them that there's a harshness to this that wakes us up, that shakes us out of our own selfishness, that shakes us out of the, our own desires into what Christ would have for our lives. And then there's also that secondary piece of compassion. Jesus had compassion. That is why he shared these things with people. Jesus did this perfectly, and Paul is trying to model that to the church. So then I think that naturally leads us into the last point. How do we, or how does this empower us to obey what it says and what does it mean? Well, I think one of the first points, and this is again where I say, I, I, I hope you guys hear the sincerity and the humbleness when I say this. This is what you should be looking for in leaders. You should not be looking for people who are going to entertain you, scratch that itch you have to feel um, good about yourselves, that tell enough jokes that they can kind of keep you engaged in the sermon but that we should be looking for leaders and hopefully want leaders who are going to call us to repentance and call us to a life that is like Christ's. When we are at churches, we should be, or when we, when we talk to our friends, we should be asking them when they say, oh yeah, I love my pastor. How come? Does he call you back to Christ? Does he challenge you to live like he does? Because that's what ours do. And we love it. Oh no, I just like, cause he, tells some good stories and keeps me engaged. Oh, cool. That's a great way to be entertained. But how does that bring you closer to Christ? These are the things that we should be trying to like instill in our families, in our children, in our friends. What does a leader look like? How is that modeled to us? How did Jesus model what leadership looks like? And how do we then continue to do that? And like I said, this goes for us in our families, in our households, with our children, with our spouses, with the people that we, I mean, I I consider you guys family. That's what this is, right? You guys discipline my children when I'm not there, and I love it, right? And I hope that that this is in there. You guys discipline them because you guys, like when you guys are downstairs, and many of you guys serve downstairs, you know Gabby can be tough at times, right? 
We all love her though. Like she's got a great personality, great heart, and we all have compassion on her and we love her, which is why you guys redirect her and give her a time out every once in a while. She needs it. And I'm okay with that. I love that. You guys are being the leaders that you're supposed to be when you are doing that. If you guys were letting her just be mean to people down there and scream and yell and just go, oh, that's just Gabby. That's how God made her. No, that's how the fall made her. God called her to something better, and I want all of you to show her that. Love her. Have compassion on her by doing that. So I just want to leave you guys with just that idea. When you guys look at the Mountain Church, you guys are all people who attend regularly. As you guys hear people talk, when we talk about like our core values, and many of you guys were here for that sermon series where we talked about why we do what we do, and we break through, and if you haven't, go back and listen to that. It's online. This is one of those things that we filter through. We use scripture to help set us up. This is why Daniel does not have the senior pastor title on the website. Because Jesus is the head of the church. We are the under shepherds. Each one of us, Daniel, Nathan, myself, this is what we have been entrusted with in this church. A lot of you guys were here for the Elder Affirmation Sunday that is the whole reason that we are here. Not so that you guys get to choose. Well, oh man, yeah, Nathan's preaching this week. I really want to be there when he's there. Not that you guys are excited. Oh, thank you. Back to the school year. Daniel's preaching three sermons in a row now, and we only have to hear Nathan and Will once every six weeks. <sighs> right? That's not what it's about. It's about having leaders who are calling us back to Christ and seeing him as the head of the church. And we want to have leaders who are modeling the characteristics of Christ in the way that he taught the people that he taught. Just in the way that we see Paul live that out, in the way that we see Peter in his writings live that out, James, all of the scriptures that we see, the way people living, they were all modeling their lives after Christ because they wanted Christ to be magnified, not themselves. Let us not be, fall into the snare of thinking that church is consumerism. I need to go where I'm entertained. That's what 2 Timothy talks about when Paul writes to him, right? Don't go there. Don't let yourself fall into that trap that, well, I like the music there, so that's why I'm going to stay. I don't care what the music is. I don't care if it's some guy that's singing with a piano that sounds terrible. If his heart's in it and the preaching is calling you back to Christ and calling you to see Jesus as the one true savior and that everything else in this world doesn't matter, that's where we need to be. If they don't have a youth group, oh well. Your kids are gonna learn because they're gonna see how Christ is being modeled in the people that are around them. Youth group doesn't save. I'm just gonna say that. Kids programs aren't the thing that saves somebody. Discipleship saves them. That's just a minor piece of it the way you live your life, the people you surround yourself with that are walking with you in Christ, calling you to something higher, your kids are going to notice that. That's what we should long after. That's what we should be heading towards. So my charge is hopefully you guys continue to want that and push us as leaders to continue to do those things for you.
That's why some people come here and think our messages are hammers. But we love you guys. We love you. This is why when some of us, uh, you guys, I'm just going to be honest with you, when you, you don't show up to things and we like text you and like, hey, where you at? It's not because there's some sort of number count going on or that we're like trying to make, like there's no, there's no reporting that we have to do. We miss you guys. We love you. We want you to be with the church. We want to be with you. We want you around. This is why we do those things. Like I said, there's no evaluation at the end of the year. I don't have to sit down and report to somebody. I hope you guys can sense that from the leadership here. We love each and every one of you. And specifically, we, we have things that are at our church called gospel communities that we hope people get plugged into. And as leaders, that's where we focus some of our time. So some of you are looking at me going like, well, I don't spend very much time with you. And I say, that's okay. I love you. But you have a leader that's over you that loves you and wants to shepherd you in that way as well. And the way that your leader talks about you when we get together is awesome. It's fun. It's encouraging. I wish I could hang out with each and every one of you every day, but I just don't have that much time. And I know you guys don't either. So that's why we kind of get into like smaller house churches once a week together so that we can continue to see that love we have for one another. I hope you guys again hear that passion, that love, that drive, that we are not going to sit by and tickle your ears because that's what you want to hear. And we hope that you are here because you want to hear the cross of Christ preached every week, calling us to see him as beautiful as the treasure that he actually is, not something just to be entertained for a few hours on Sunday so that we can walk away feeling good about ourselves, but so that we can find our identity truly rooted in who Christ is. Let's go ahead and pray.